Today, I'm lucky enough to be chatting with comedy writer and performer Murray Hunter. You might remember Murray from the fantastic, absolutely, TV show, which ran from 1989 to 1993. So, hi, Murray, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yes, you've got the dates right, I think. That's, that's <laughs> it. But don't forget the radio show, which oh. is still going. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. We'll get to that later. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm in plugging mode, obviously. You are, you are. Um, So, was comedy something that always came naturally to you? Were you funny as a kid? Funny in the I think there was a lot of comedy in our house. My dad was, um, my dad and my mum uh, were both funny, and uh, my dad was uh, an after dinner speaker, and he was also he wanted to be a scriptwriter, and he he got quite close a couple of times. Uh, he sent scripts off, and uh, but he didn't quite get there. So I think maybe it was sort of it was in the blood a bit. And uh, my two, I've got an older and a younger brother, and we used to do a thing called the Quest Review every. Once a year, which was an amateur review, and uh, they were both very funny in it. And I tended, to, I would be quite funny, I think, but I was I was writing some of it more than actually enjoying the performing. But so it was sort of we all did a bit of performing, and it kind of it kind of grew out of that. I mean, were you kind of not class clown particularly, but in school were you kind of always the one that was trying to make kids laugh and stuff? Or? I was the class clown, yeah. <laughs> I was I was the one who was trying to make folk laugh. Yeah, uh, I, I was sort of I did the, I produced the the sixth form review in our school. I was the producer because I think I was nominated the the silliest. You know, I mean I took it as a great honour. Obviously, oh yeah, that they thought I would be <laughs> the man for the job. Oh, for the job, but, yeah. But um, yes, I think I just always liked a laugh and and being facetious and <laughs> a bit of an airhead, really, you know, just not taking stuff too seriously. Take me a long time to get a wee bit more serious in my life. Yeah. yeah. Going to the obviously, absolutely, which you're probably best known for. So uh, how did how do you all get together originally? I know there was the Bodgers, but how did you all meet yeah. initially? Well, initially, it was started off with this Quest Review thing, which is a church youth fellowship, which we went to because I was at an old boys school. So... The way to meet girls was to go to this church with fellowship on a Sunday. And there were a lot of single-sex schools in Edinburgh around about then, so I think everyone, a lot of folk felt the same way. So we would do an, an annual review, and then we did the six-form review. And I was, I was in the same year as Pete Bakey uh-huh. from Absolutely, so we, we, did a, we worked together on that as well. And then after school, a couple of guys decided they wanted to do a show on The Fringe. And we had no notion of doing this whatsoever, really. But they were about two years below us at school. But they started putting together folk who, approaching folk who they thought might be good for it. And they approached me and Pete. And then Gordy was the year below us, and yeah. they approached him. And we sort of went, yeah, why not? And then we said, there's this guy, John Doherty. He's a bit, he was so young, five years younger, which at that stage was a long time. You know? Yeah. And uh, they, they sort of said, we said, why don't we get him? He's funny. So we ended up with about eight of us in the first year doing the show, which I think, as I recall, it had one cracking sketch and a lot of shite, really. <laughs> um, and uh, there was a Joyce McMillan from The Scotsman. We met her years later, and she said, I came to your show, and uh, I didn't review it out of <laughs> kindness, so, which, was <laughs> which was good of her. So... But we got the bug for it. So the two guys who'd initiated it, Martin Hall and Dave Robertson, they said, no, that's it. We just wanted to do it once. And so they had left the Bodgers. But then there were six of us, and they gradually whittled down over the years 
to four of us who were dead keen to do it, mm. which was Pete, Gordy, John Dog, and myself. So how did uh, John and Moana get involved? Well, we got a series on Radio 4 after about four, three or four years of doing Bodgers on the Fringe. We got a series called, we called it, in other words, The Bodgers. And uh, it was a bit daft, but it went okay, apart from there were some complaints about the voices, because A, they had a bit of trouble with the accents, and B, down south for some reason, and B, uh, they didn't know how many of us there were. Because they could all hear this sort of <laughs> slightly soft Edinburgh accent. And it was, is there two of them? Are there four? Are there six? So we thought we'll break up a bit. And we, we knew when and John Sparks quite well by then. So we thought, well, we'll get a Welsh voice in and we'll get when in. Female and Cornish. So, you know, it's, so we did break it up. Although I, even after that, I guess, but we're still going, OK, so there's a Welsh woman, a Cornish woman. <laughs> Another two Edinburgh, another four, another six, but it helped. So that was Budgers, Banks and Sparks on the radio, and then we decided to pitch it for TV, and then we came up with the name Absolutely from from nowhere, really. So the rest is we history. The rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what was the the writing process like for all of you? Did you kind of pair off? I know with some. Some comedians, they tend to pair off into groups or they'll write individually for themselves, obviously with character comedy like yourselves. So how did it work? Did you and Jack kind of pair off? or? Well, we did initially because um, we, we'd, we'd written for uh, Smith & Jones and yeah. Spitting Image as a team. So we were used to writing together. So we, we paired off. We wrote Don and George stuff together. Joan invented Callum and uh, gave me the part very kindly. But, yeah, so we would do that, and we would write Stony Bridge together. Uh, oh, I think Joan wrote the first Stony Bridge himself, actually, to be fair. And Wayne would do our own stuff, and John Sparks would do his own stuff, and Pete would write some songs, and Gordy would chip in from time to time. But I think over... So that was basically how it worked, and then we'd come in and we'd read stuff out, which was always... <laughs> even though it was amongst friends, it was always still a nerve-wracking moment when you, you know, you, hit the, you have to read it to the whole room and see what you get. Um, but I think over the, after a while, John and I began to write more separately. Uh, I don't know why, just we hadn't fallen out or anything. It just felt easier and um, you could get on with stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seemed like with watching Don and George, you, you, you were very much, it was like a partnership. Do you know what I mean? You kind of... Yeah. From each other's... We did spend a lot of time just sitting in the room writing line by line together, which was great fun to do. Although also, we're both a wee bit kind of I don't know, a bit depressive sometimes. So if we had a bad first half hour of a day, we could just write off the whole day and, you know, we'd go, OK, let's come back tomorrow. If we'd been on our own, I'm not sure we would have done that. So we could kind of talk ourselves out of it sometimes if we weren't in the mood, you know? Yeah. I, know, I mean, watching it back now, it's, it's still very timeless, you know? You can watch Don and George now and it's still just as funny as it was, you know, when it went out in the, the early 90s. Yeah, I think that's sort of just... It was just sort of silly comedy for its own sake. And, uh, yeah, jokes that hopefully... Uh, I think they are timeless, yeah. And if you like them, you like them. And if you didn't, you still won't. But, um, yeah, we weren't doing... I mean, we did topical stuff for Spitting Image, although even then we tended ended up doing jokes about David Coleman mainly. So it wasn't... <laughs> we weren't doing <laughs> the heavy satire. Um, there was no need. You had Hislop and Newman in the room. So, you know, there was... Uh, that area was covered. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have Don's glasses? Are they, or are they in a museum somewhere? They're in a, I don't know what happened to them. Um, unfortunately, I just found them in a box. 
we were getting ready for the first for the pilot of absolutely and yeah. we were just looking i had no idea what we'd get dressed as because it's uh, on tv and uh i just found these things in a box and it, it just seemed to work you know a kind of a bit askew which seemed to be about right for them but i don't know i've lost them and so, somebody tweeted me the other day on uh, on twitter with a photograph of roughly the same spec so they're still making them <laughs> So I might, I might have to invest just for old time's sake. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously a collector's item, you know. Yeah, I think Sting wore them first. I was, I found out subsequently. He, he, I had them before, before Don and George. But there you go. Yeah, that was a very distinctive look that you and Jack had. This, this, this yeah. pair of. <laughs> pair I had of, the big hair then, of course. You had well, very which, big hair. Very big hair. It became a bit of a pain in the ass, really, because you know. I'd, I'd be half an hour in makeup just getting my hair to stand on end. <laughs> Seemed, I suppose it was worth it by the end. Yeah, no, I was watching the episode one of the of the absolutely series, and when you you and uh, you and Jack, Don and George were trying to bury your landlady with the with the little tiny little tiny coffin on the roller skate. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just in, just absolutely inspired, you know. And obviously, um, John Sparks as the the vicar, and then the yeah, and, and the roller skate went off down the hill. Yeah, and you, were, you were running after. We're both it. running after this roller skate, and it smashes into the door of the the church. Just you know, as I said, it's it's so timeless. You can watch it now, and it's still kept its humour. Oh well, good. I must watch it again. I haven't seen that for a long time. Oh, you really should. Um, so I mean, did you ever imagine that absolutely would become the? I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a cult TV show now. It's obviously it's on uh, like four OD. Um, and there's people watching it now. People are still talking about you. Obviously, we'll talk in a little bit about the radio show. I mean, did, but did you ever imagine it would become what it did? Uh, I, I don't know, really. I don't know what we expected. I think I, I just remember in the first series being couldn't believe my luck that we were doing this. That we'd sort of from the beginnings of just doing a show in the fringe for a laugh, we're now making six episodes of a TV series. Mm. Um, it was uh, it was manna from heaven for me, really. Uh, but I don't know. I, also, I think we didn't realise what it was because we, we were asked to do a fifth series, but we we felt we'd run out a bit, and so we said no. Which I think, with hindsight, you'd think we should have we should have been a bit cannier and gone. Well, I tell you what, we'll take a give us a, a break for a year. Mm. We'll recharge a bit and then then come back. But you know, it, I, I, it's a funny you just one of those things you don't know quite what you have when you have it yeah i mean was it a full-on process at the time when you were recording episodes and stuff how, how yeah, were you well, i mean it was the writing process was quite intense and and then the other thing was that we were we were a terribly sociable bunch so that we'd we'd rehearse during the week and then we'd go in to do pre-records the day before the studio uh, and we'd pre-record three or four sketches so those sets would be struck so we could get the audience seats in um, and we were so delighted we'd done the pre-records, we'd go and get drunk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'd turn up the next day with hangovers, which was just daft. You know, it's like, why couldn't we... We couldn't wait till after the second show on the, you know, the audience night and then enjoy ourselves. But um, So we were kind of burning the candle a bit at both ends, I think. Yeah. I mean, were you recording, like, was it like one episode a week, or how were you recording? We would do it... I would think it would have been over six weeks, yeah, so we'd have had... One episode a week, pretty much. I mean, actually, we had eight episodes. The first series was eight forty-fives, um, which was a bit 
and we had all the sketches that were going on for 10 minutes and stuff, which was a bit much, really, um, by about three times. And uh, then we we had eight times 30 minutes. So actually, it might have been it might have been over more than more than six. Could have been eight weeks, but but yeah, it was quite an intensive uh, process. Although in those days we weren't in the edit, so we didn't we didn't have much of that say in that at, at that time, which was you know. Change days now. I think we're we're sort of all over that. But at the time, we we didn't get to do that part. We go in late at night and get the the curry part <laughs> when they were just <laughs> when the food was coming. Yeah, I mean, you were doing all the, like the character stuff before the fast show and all these other guys that you know were doing all the sketch shows in the in the nineties. You know, like pioneers. Well, yeah, I suppose because I think we were going against. It, there was a lot of very political comedy at the time, and we were. Like I, you know, that just wasn't what we did. So we just had to do what we did, which was character stuff. Okay, so we, we, <laughs> we I can't talk to you without talking about Callum. Um, right. Callum, where did Callum come from? Was he was he based on somebody, or sort of how did he become a fully formed character? He was based on um, a sort of a huge exaggeration of a couple of guys, and uh, but and then John just took took him a bit further and he, he we, we first did it I think in 1986 or something at the fringe and um yeah it was just it just sort of it landed straight away really uh and I, I don't know why he asked me to do it as, as the most boring man in the world <laughs> and um I didn't take it as an insult <laughs> and um it was just great fun to do but the early sketches were all John with Callum and then I suppose after a while, I began to write more and more and started putting him in different situations uh, in the, well, in the in the sort of real world or the comedy real world, as it were. And uh, so he sort of he began to emerge from his life just being harangued by John or just boring John <laughs> ridiculously, you know, so. And then kind of obviously like with the, with the radio show, Callum's kind of gone off on his own. He's off doing... You know, living his life, living his life yeah, in yeah. the real world. I mean, I, I've I've written a sitcom script, but I, I haven't managed to sell it yet. I don't oh, know, fantastic! I would I would love to do. You know, he, he would have to get a bit more real, I think. But I would love to have a go at trying and and see what his life is like now. I've got him in a as a as a lodger <laughs> with a uh, with a, a kindly woman. And her son, who hates him, <laughs> so the son is sort of taking over the John role. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's great that he's come back, and there's so a lot of areas to cover. You know, having had a twenty-year break, mm. there's a lot of stuff to cover, and you know, technology and oh, mobile phones and, yeah. and this, all the sort of social media stuff these days is yeah. great for Callum to get stuck into. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of love, a lot of love for Callum. I think. Oh, so, good. Um. So, a few years back, obviously, we had this amazing news that absolutely was there was going to be a reunion for radio. Yeah. There was the Sketcherama thing initially. Um, so, I mean, how did it all come about? Did you just get a phone call one day saying, you know, do you fancy getting back together again? It was a funny one because I was listening to the radio and uh, Gus Beatty and somebody else from the comedy unit, whose name is tragically. Escape me, I'll get it in a sec. They were on the radio discussing another series of Sketcherama and the fact that absolutely they were going to get absolutely on it. 
And I'm going, hello? <laughs> I don't know about this. And uh, they just kind of, um, they'd had this guy idea and they just sort of floated it out in the, I think they were chatting to Janice Forsyth on her show. Um, so I sort of phoned up the other and said, do you know what we're doing? <laughs> we're coming back in Sketcharama. And um, everyone was a bit surprised. But they then got in touch and asked us if we'd be interested in doing it. And um, we went, yeah, okay. Although John Doherty didn't, because um, he was he was busy doing, I don't know whether it was Scott Squad at the time or what it was, but he just he just didn't feel like he particularly wanted to do it. Mm. So five of us did it, and uh, we enjoyed it, and and it sort of it, it's grown legs since then, really. Yeah. So I mean, did it feel very natural when you all got back together, back into a room writing together? Yeah. No, it felt like why the hell haven't we, you know, been doing something? Yeah. Maybe not absolutely, but something together. You know, we still had the company, but in terms of actually doing comedy stuff together, I hadn't worked with John Sparks for years or with Marwenna. Um, I'd, I'd done some stuff with Gordy and Pete, but not, not we hadn't really done an awful lot. So it made me it made us wonder why the hell we hadn't, you know, because we still got on, we still made each other laugh, and uh, we're still kind of friends. So, yeah. So it was all kind of natural. Was there any sort of hesitation? You're kind of thinking, oh... You know, of course, because absolutely was what it was, and it had this timeless quality to it. Did it? Did it feel a bit weird going back? Yeah. Going back to it. There's, I mean, there's always hesitation, and yeah. that's one of our defaults. We're kind of um, for people who are supposed to be in show business, and we're not always the most outgoing, you know. So yeah, there was hesitation about that, and then there was oh, what the hell? Just and uh, and that kind of won out. And I think because also the reception we got at the Oran Moor, you've seen us there, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you were there the first time, but the reception we got at the Oran Moor was, was great, you know, and we were sort of, we were welcomed back by, at least there were certainly a lot of fans in the room. And it kind of made us feel, well, there's people out there who want to see us, so let's do some more. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Gus, he's so passionate as well, isn't he? He's so, yeah, yeah. He's such a passionate guy, and he obviously had this real belief in, in you yeah. as a group. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's terrific, Gus. And it was good just having a, a, a different eye on it as well from all, all ourselves. And just and he'd keep us right. And, and also just uh, he, he is a fan of the show. He started as a fan of the show. And so he's just, he's just enjoying himself. <laughs> and so that kind of transmits to us. And we just, it gives us the belief that, OK, this, this is going to work, you know. I can see he's enjoying himself at the when you, you know, at the <laughs> yeah. shows. He's loving it. He's absolutely loving it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about some other work you've done. You created and wrote the successful, very successful Radio Four sitcom Alone back in yep. 2017. So how did that all come about, you uh, writing? Well, that's, a, that's quite a long story because I think I wrote the first episode of that in about 2003 uh, when I was living alone, single, mm-hmm. in a large house, uh, as in the sitcom. Uh, and the BBC were interested, TV, it was TV at the time, and BBC were interested and then suddenly it went away and then... Uh, Sean Ed was interested and she was uh, commissioner of ITV and we did, a, we did a table read which went very well and she went off to try and get money for a pilot and then suddenly she wasn't working at ITV anymore so 
that went away, and it's typical TV stuff. And so then it went, it was just like, I'd forgotten about it for a few years. Uh, and then Sean had turned up back at Radio at Radio 4 as commissioning editor for comedy. Mm. And well, so we put it back in front of her, and she remembered it, and she was, basically she's been a fan since day one. And uh, so now, then, then she commissioned a pilot, and it went from there. Yeah, obviously you've got like, uh, Angus Deaton's involved and you've got a really, it's a really, really great cast, isn't it? And obviously you've... Yeah, I, I, I can't always remember how we cast it, but they say the cast are... It's the same cast we had for the very first table read and they all sort of turned up and they're just... I, I think we were helped when we cast it with, by Matt Lipsy, mm-hmm. TV director, who, was, um, who directed the, the table read back in 2000 and whatever it was, four or something... And I'm sure I'm sure he he chose a couple of the folk as well, or suggested them, but they all just they all just slotted in right away. So it, it was and it was great. So that 15 years now, 14 years later, I could go back and get the same cast and go. Are you still <laughs> interested? Because we'd like to have you again. And uh, and they've all been there, so it's it's worked out well. You don't always get that with casting, I don't think. But no, exactly. Um, so we mentioned you mentioned earlier working on Spit and Image. I mean, that was yeah. at the time it was huge, wasn't it? You know, it was re- really kind of on the button. Um, oh yeah, on, was, the satire was, was yeah. So I mean, how did you get involved? How did you and Jack get involved in? Uh, well, Spit we Image? were um, we were writing for Radio Four. There's a I don't know if you know the writers' contract, which has been revived in the last few years. Um, two folk get uh, it's normally two people get a contract for a year, and, and that's what brought us to London back in 1984. We were offered a retainer of £5,000, I think it was, um, for the year, and to come down and you're basically to write for weekending and stuff and maybe write a, write a series if you can get it away. And, uh, and so that was fantastic. But within six weeks of us arriving, Spitting Image had started the first run, and the first six had gone out, but they hadn't, they hadn't quite... It hadn't really hit. It hadn't really been a success, they hoped. And so they started... Rob Grant and Doug Naylor got brought in as new script editors. And they'd heard about us. And so we were asked to go and join it. So at the interview for the BBC job, we were sort of told that we, if we got a chance to write for BBC TV, that would be fine. But they'd rather we didn't go off and work for the other side, yes, yes. as they put it. And of course, in those days, it was only, you know... Probably only, I'm not even sure if Channel 4 was there then. So, but the, the offer was too good. And it, we would make in, you know, two months what we would get in a year yeah. working for the radio. And it was also a big show. So off we toddled <laughs> <laughs> to Limehouse to work for Spitting Image. Yeah, it Jamie. was mental how big it was. They had, you know, singles, they were releasing singles and... Um, and the, the, yeah. the satire, satire was just incredible. Um, I yeah. mean, I, I know they're talking about somebody was talking about bringing it back because I mean, today obviously there's as much satirical politics. Although, almost the politicians are doing it themselves exactly. these days because they've got so <laughs> so almost uh, you can't top some of the stupidity I think that's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, they always say that satire is stronger when there's a Tory government and. Um, as we seem to be landed with Tory government permanently almost. Um, I think there's an argument for bringing it back, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how did it work with the spit and image thing? Did they, did they kind of give you a framework 
to say, right, you're writing for this character? And no, no, it was very loose. It was just, you know, it, that, that was a quite a tight turnaround. That was a weekly thing. And we, um, I'm, I'm not sure if it suited uh, the style, the way that John and I worked. And we would have panic sessions on a, I think it was a Wednesday night. Because yeah. we had to turn up on a Thursday with our scripts. And uh, so we, we were always leaving things to the last minute, you know. Whereas folk like Jeff Atkinson used to come in, we used to joke that he needed a wheelbarrow <laughs> to bring in his his efforts for the week. Um, so and uh, yeah, so it was it was hard going. We we got stuff on though, and we we got into the the, the sort of inner core after a while, um, which was which was great fun to do. But it was yeah, it was it was tough going. I don't think it. Because we weren't so so much topical topical writers, you yeah. know, it wasn't necessarily right up our street. Yeah, that's the thing. I suppose with things things happening constantly all the time, you'd have to kind of know and keep keep your ear to the ground with stuff that's yeah, going on. Yeah, definitely watch the news and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we were probably in the pub at the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I'd love to have a go at it now, the satirical stuff. That said, it's daft, really. Maybe, um, maybe that's but... the thing. That's the next thing you should work on, you know, trying to get, yeah, yeah, trying to get an image back on our TV screens. So do you think we're going to be seeing uh, another series of absolutely the Absolutely Radio show? I've got everything crossed. Uh, I hope so, yes. Crossed. I think they're commissioning now for 2021-22. Wow. And so we're in for that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think... I hope, I hopefully we will. We don't know. There's a new boss at uh, Radio 4, mm-hmm. um, Mohit Bakaya. And um, so when a new person comes in, of course, some, some things can get swept away. Yeah. And as we are now, you know, in our, virtually in our dotage, <laughs> we, we, might, we might be. But uh, I hope not. Yeah. Oh, no, the love's still there, Maury, definitely. For, for <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean... It is in the audience. I'm definitely. very surprised. So we'll just see whether the... The executives still have the love. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of it was, like, you know, you'd, you'd come to the recordings and you'd see people that you'd met last time from other recordings, and it was like very kind of a communal, yeah. very communal feel to it. Yeah, no, it's a kind of family feel. But also, I did meet some folk who'd... I met a footballer, actually, Murdo McLeod, who's quite a famous footballer, after who came with a guy, Steve Letford, who's a writer, who brought him along. And he was going, I've never heard of you guys. <laughs> Well, how did I miss this? And he, he'd really enjoyed it. So it was gratifying that somebody who had no idea uh, what absolutely was, it meant something to him. And so he's obviously, he'd got into the characters, uh, you know, straight away. So that, so that was good. So let, let, let's talk, let's talk a bit about music now. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, do you have you got, do you have a favourite band or an artist that you, you kind of listen to? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, a lot of all the usual suspects, really. But I suppose there's one. There's one that maybe is less well known. There's a guy called Rab Noakes, um, who's a Scottish singer-songwriter, who I've followed for for years and years, um, and he's he's still going strong. And I, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of his now. I'll, I'll go to a gig of his, you know, once every once a year, every couple of years, just to see what he's up to. And um, so yeah, have you heard of Rab? No, I haven't. I'll definitely have to check him out and see what the uh... Yeah, I sort of think of him like a Scottish Ralph McTell. Right. Uh, but he writes, he's got a good sense of humour, he's got an amazing voice, and uh, he's my sort of go-to. Yeah. When I'm 
on my iPlayer with my shuffle. <laughs> the, the, it keeps coming back to Rab. I think they get to the they go, they go. This guy likes Rab, so. Um, yeah. Do, does he gig much? Do you, have you have you seen him live? He does. Yeah. He um, he took a time out when he became a radio producer. Oh right. And uh, but he's back now gigging quite a lot. He's doing anniversary. This year he's doing the anniversary, the fiftieth anniversary of his first album. Oh wow! So he's doing a few gigs around Scotland. Although he does he does go south as well. I'm not sure if he goes to Ireland that often. Um, but yeah, he he keeps he keeps going. Yeah, keeping it to a ground for that one. Um, I mean, so what what kind of stuff did you grow up listening to? Did you, were you is it was it a very musical household you grew up in? Well. Not that musical. Um, my, my dad was more into light opera and stuff, and I have a vague memory of him switching off the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> in 19, they were, it was, I think it was Camp Bambi Love, and I think probably number one, yeah. of course. And there was, I think I can't, I can't remember whether it was the long hair or just the general <laughs> noise of it he didn't like. But he said, "We're not watching this." <laughs> so um, that endeared me to the Beatles, uh, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up with Beatles, Stones in the sixties. Um, it was, I mean, the music was just fantastic then. Mm. I mean, so that was that was the sort of start of it. And then, because I'm mates with Pete, who's a massive Beatles fan, and we had a folk group in the that Quest Review thing I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I, I was I was in the folk group. I mean, Pete's the real muso, but I could I could hold a tune and play a few chords. So we'd sing a lot of Beatles songs. So. I ended up, I got a sort of love of harmony um, and a lot of, so I'm, I'm very much into guitars and uh, some singer-songwriters and anything with a harmony gets my vote. So that's that was the sort of start of my love of, of various music, yeah. Yeah, I'm always impressed by Pete's songwriting ability. Some of the stuff he comes yeah, out with on the yeah. shows is just, you know, incredible. Yeah, there's some some of the stuff he did in the second series was some of the best songs he's ever written, I think, yeah. He's, got, he's, he's quite an angry man, Pete. For a, he's a very smiley, angry man. And um, when, he, when he gets going on, on a subject, he can, be, uh, well, he can be very good, very satirical. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was quite fun, like being in the audience and watching you all, and you obviously, you know, you, know, you all come forward and you do your parts and stuff, and it's quite interesting watching the rest of the group ha- reacting to your parts and... Yeah, yeah. Laughing as if they've never heard it before. and Yeah, yeah. No, we've come part of the audience at that point. (laughs) Yeah, no, really, really probably laughing at Pete because he's got through it for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so many... So the lyrics are like he's got... It crams words into lines. Yeah. Which then become almost impossible to sing. But, of course, when when he pulls it off, it sounds brilliant. But he he sets himself these little challenges, you know, to... (laughs) The news team... The, the the news team is uh, is particularly great, I think. Ah, uh, news, news, news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's been great, great fun. That sort of, I don't know where that came from. I think actually Pete started with something about the jingles and all the whooshing noises. <laughs> yes. And then we began to get a bit more satirical and going after uh, subjects as well. So, <laughs> but with the whooshing noises there as well. So yeah, they they've sort of taken off a bit, which is good. I mean, so do you work? Do you think? Are you still thinking about new characters? Do you, or, or are you kind of you're going to stick with what you've what you've got, kind of thing? Um, always looking for new characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think we've tried out a few in the in the radio series, and, and uh, 
I think the news, 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 and also Pete's very silly um, two-line, what's his name? Oh, two-line Terry. Two-line Terry. Two-line Terry. <laughs> oh, my gone. God, it's, so good. Yeah, they've sort of, two-line ter- ter- Terry's taken off. So, um, yeah, they, do, they, just, they don't spring out that often, but uh, I keep trying to start a, a, an awful couple um, with me and Wen, but yeah. we haven't quite haven't quite hit it yet. I don't know. Keep keep going at that one. Yeah, I like uh, Gordon's Reverend McMim as well. He's uh, yeah. I mean, the... that was originally it was the brother of the um, <laughs> Galashian. Oh right, okay. Uh, and he was called McMinn, and he was a. Oh, was he a brother? Or was he the agent? No, I think he was the brother and agent uh, of McMinn and much put upon. And it was such a great character that when John Dock wasn't going to do the radio show, we thought, well, we'd like to keep McMinn. Yeah. It's just basically because of the way Gordon says the word will. <laughs> um, <laughs> the whole character really, when he, when he said that, that's when the, the character sort of came to life for everyone. So well, we're on to something here. Yeah, the red mist. The red mist descended. <laughs> the red mist descended. <laughs> yeah, no, that was see, that was just thrown into the first script as a bit of a laugh, and then it's it, as, as as a way to actually make that sketch work, I think. And it kind of went, oh no, that became the sketch. Yeah. <laughs> You're sort of waiting, I think, for the red mist to descend, which is good. Um, you've still got a lot of a lot of the much loved characters are there. Obviously, you've got your Frank Hovis is still in there. You've got the little girl. Little girl is. I mean, the the writing uh, yeah. on Morwenna's pieces must be, you know, crazy. But she's it's such, it seems like such a natural thing for her, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 good. And again, a bit like Callum, it lends itself to any any sort of topic. And uh, and and so she's bang up to date. I don't know what age the little girl is now, but she's um, <laughs> yeah, she's bang she's bang up up to date. And uh, it's hitting sort of topics that are. Oh, I don't know. That. Yeah, she's she's got to be in her forties, hasn't she? The little girl by now, I think. <laughs> at least. Yeah. Still dressing in the school uniform, which is kind of kind of worrying, I suppose. But well, we can't have her growing up. No, no, exactly. I mean, the, the, the characters were so timeless. Um, I really loved the the nice family. Um, were a, a favourite of mine with Gordon as the mum, just wa- um, waving at the sink. Yes, I know. He did that so well. Typical Gordon, you see. We give him a part where he doesn't have any lines, but he made he made something off it, and uh, she became a bit of a. <laughs> Sometimes stole the show with. He was always busy doing business at the back, watching yeah. and um, reacting and putting thumbs up and everything. Uh, yeah, we did we did actually do a, a sketch in the first radio series of the Nice Family, where father had been jailed for. <laughs> Uh, unsavory behaviour, yeah, and uh, but it, it, it didn't make the light of day in the end. But it was it was fun to do, you know, family. Yeah, it could have Johnny Sparks. It would have explained the uh, absence of Jack, I suppose. You know, if he's he's in jail. Well, yes, you see, it was all it was all there. It was all plotted. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It didn't quite get. It was missing one laugh, so that was it. It was cut. We're brutal like that. Oh wow. I mean, was there any? Was there anything? I'm I think it was missing quite a few. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, was there? Was there anything? I mean, how much material did you have? Did you use kind of everything, or is there still stuff kind of in the background? I think we've. No, we got. We normally over-record. Uh, so I would say there's about ten sketches per series that didn't make it, and um, some of which are like, oh, that had something, 
and some of which was like, well, that was quite right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about it's We don't chuck away too much, but uh, a lot of the stuff that goes <laughs> deserves it. You know, there's a, good, there's a kernel of an idea there, but it didn't quite it didn't quite work. What I don't think we're good at is going. That sketch didn't quite work, but there's something there. Let's go back and rework it, and yeah. we could we if we weren't sort of I don't know a bit lazy, we might go back and do that mm. a bit of recycling. Yeah, I mean, were you were you involved at all in the editing process, or was that Gordon and Gus's area of expertise? No, that was it. It's become sort of Gordon and Pete and myself, and we do. And well, actually, everyone gets involved because then we do a we do a rough edit, and then we go. Well, we can't do really edit the little girl without speaking to Wen about it. So, yeah. you know, her, her characters go back to Wen, and John's ones go back to John. So, yeah, it's become a bit torturous, but it's a very democratic process. So that's good because I think that, you know we didn't we didn't like it when in the, in the old days and absolutely when we didn't have a say mm. or not much of a say. Whereas now we want we'd rather have a say. If it takes a bit longer, well, that's fine, you know. It's worth that everyone feels happy and they've had a, they've had their input on their stuff. So, mm, yeah, I mean, you seem to be averaging every two years at the moment for for series. Yeah, something like that. I mean, that's plenty of time to get recharged. So we should be ready. It takes a while for perfection, Murray. Yeah, that's right. You can't rush it. It really does. Thanks so much for chatting with me, Murray. It's been an absolutely pleasure. See what I did there. Uh huh. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure too. Cheers, Sam. 